up the book of Joshua, and we are going to cover several chapters tonight, and uh, we'll slow down a little bit to, to look at uh, um, some of the things that we can glean, but what we're looking at tonight is going to be the inheritance, the land that they inherit on the west side of the Jordan River, the, the tribes that crossed the Jordan River, and, and what their inheritance was. And what the Lord does with that. So it's exciting times. We took a look. You remember last time um, we talked. We talked about <clears throat> Caleb and uh, Caleb desiring to have that one last shot at the giants. You know, he wanted that that mountaintop experience. He wanted to continue and stay into the fight. So uh, so he did so. He desired it. That mountain where the Anakim were, and the Lord gave it to him. In chapter 14. In chapter 15, it says, it begins with the, the allotment, the first allotment that would fall to the tribe. And the first tribe that the allotment falls to, it's interesting, is the tribe of Judah. Now, you might think, well, 12 tribes of Israel, and perhaps God would start the inheritance with the firstborn, right? The firstborn typically was was the one through whom the beginning of the inheritance would be passed. But the Lord starts with Judah. He's a fourthborn. And when we take a look at Judah, it's interesting. And as we look at this inheritance that we're going to see, God begin to, to, to share and, and give the borders for. I think we want to go back a little bit into Genesis. In Genesis chapter 49, and hopefully help uh, grab a little bit of uh, insight into what's special about Judah, and uh, we go back to Jacob, as Jacob uh, on his deathbed is prophesying over his children, (coughs) he gives this prophecy over Judah, Uh, beginning in chapter 49 of Genesis, verse 8, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. It's a little play on names, Judah means praise, his name means praise, and so Judah, you are he whom your brothers will praise will praise your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies and your father's children shall bow down before you so we look at chapter 8 we see in this prophecy that jacob is laying out for us and we'll see in another book by the time we come to the end of the judges that the kingly line is going to come through judah all his brothers will bow down to him the kings will be of the tribe of Judah. And it says Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. <coughs> Excuse me. From the prey, my son. You have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? And then he gets to this point in verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Now remember, at the time that this is given, there is no scepter in Judah. But he says, a scepter will not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of all the people. Now, if we want to know what he meant, what was meant by Shiloh, all we have to do is look at the next line. We know Shiloh is a person. To him shall be all the obedience of the people. What we know about this scripture, and, and Basically, we know through Josephus, 
about the time that the rabbis thought it was broken. When Rome took control, the scepter was their ability to govern themselves in terms of to, to govern over their own people. If somebody done wrong, they, they went to uh, uh, the, the judge in Israel. They didn't have to go to whoever was ruling over them. At this particular time, Rome had stripped that away from them. And the rabbis tore their tunics and they walked through the street and they said, the word of God has been broken. But in a town called Nazareth, there was a 12-year-old boy getting ready for his bar mitzvah. His name, Jesus of Nazareth. Shiloh is a term pointing to the Messiah, the Nagid, the prince, the king, the, the Messiah, the rule, God in the flesh, <coughs> is going to come through the tribe of Judah. So we see Judah's going to be a kingly line. Judah's going to be exalted above his brothers. So then when we come to Joshua chapter 15 and we see Judah getting the inheritance first, makes sense. Makes sense because that eventually is going to develop into um, a kingly line. Primarily, we look toward David and the Davidic covenant that points on to Messiah. So as we take a look, this is what it says. The lot of the tribe of the children of Israel. And it gives those borders. The border of Edom at the wilderness of Zin southward was the extreme southern boundary. And their southern border began at the shore of the Salt Sea from the bay that faces southward. Uh, then it went out south side of the ascent of Akrabim along to Zin, ascended to the south side of Kadesh Barnea, passed along to Hezron, went up to Adar, and went around to Karka. Now, as we go through, basically what he's laying out for us is the boundaries. And last time we had a map up for you. Cindy, you want to see if you can find that map? No, you don't have to. I don't know where it would be. That's all right. We had a map up on the screen so you could kind of follow along with the borders. But basically, we're looking at the borders. Here's a couple of things that we want to note. When we go over to verse 8, it says, Then the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom to the southern slope of the Jebusite city. What, what was the Jebusite city? Jerusalem, it tells us. The Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem, the border went to the top of the mountain that lies before the valley of Hinnom westward, which is at the end of the valley of Rephaim to the north. Now, when we look at that, here's what we want to know. The borders of Judah came right up to the edge of Jerusalem. And when it did, you want to notice as we go through all of this inheritance, you're going to start to pick up on certain things. What I want you to start to see is as reference to Anak or the Anakim or reference to the Rephaim. It's all the same. The Rephaim, the Anakim, the Nephilim of Genesis chapter 6. It's what they looked at as the giants. The people, the mighty people, the, the mountain of the Rephaim. Literally, it's a mountain of the giants. The idea that in, in every place that you go with the tribes... They had their giants to face. Whether or not they chose to face them was up to them. But God had given a promise. You remember what the promise was? Wherever you'll put the sole of your foot, I'll give it to you. 
But if there's giants up on that mountain, I might stay in the valley and just leave them up there, right? I, I can choose to do that. But God's promise was wherever you'll put, you will put the sole of your foot, I will give that to you. So here, <coughs> excuse me, with Judah in verse 8, we have reference to giants that are still in the land, still there uh, for them to have to deal with. And then, let's come down, let's just come down, it gives all the borders down to verse 13. Now it says, now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Arba was the father of the Anakim, or the giants. And you'll remember last time, Caleb at 85 years old comes to Joshua and says, Hey Joshua, you know, back when we, you and I, we were the only two good guys who said we could take this. God said we can have our inheritance. Let me tell you what I want. He didn't pick the beach. He didn't pick some deserted island somewhere where he could just retire and take it easy. He said, I want Kirjot Arba. That's the, the mountain of the giants, but not just any giants. The father of the giants of the entire area. And he said, that's where I want to go. That's the fight I want to fight. And he says, I don't, it may be that this is going to cost me my life. Oh, well, but it may be that God's going to deliver it into my hands. And that's what we see in the heart of, of Caleb. And so here, Caleb, being part of Judah, he picked out the, the harshest, the hardest environment. Man, that's what I want right there. He wasn't done fighting at 85. Joshua's 100. Caleb is 85. He was a little bit younger than Joshua. And he is still ready to fight. So he's going to tell us about it. It says in verse 14, Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there. Sheshai, Ahiman, Talmai, the children of Anak. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly, formerly the name of Debir was Kirjath Sefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it to him, I will give Akash, my daughter, as wife. And so <coughs> he wants to know how to pick a good son-in-law. So he goes out and he's, he's a, a guy who wants to always go further with the Lord. So he lays it out there. Hey, the guy who, who feels called to the Lord to go take this city, directed by God, and has the courage and the boldness and the bravery to go, you go take it and you can marry my daughter. So a fellow named Othniel is going to do it. Othniel is a name to remember. Because when we get to the book of Judges, he's the first judge. He's the first judge, and that's Caleb's son-in-law. So Scripture says, as he calls out and he says, Hey, who will go? Who will take it? So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it. And he gave him Achish's daughter and his wife. Now here's the beautiful thing about Caleb and his whole family. They must have been the most psycho bunch of people that you could ever imagine. They were not afraid of nothing. They'd go do whatever they felt like God was directing them to. They had boldness and courage in the Lord to go be and to do what God had laid on their heart. And they weren't afraid to ask for things. 
So we see that, that uh, Caleb's daughter, uh, Axel, my daughter, goes to Othniel. And so it was when she came to him <coughs> that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey and went to Caleb and said, what do you wish? And she answered, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the south, give me also the springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Man, she, she goes, she's not afraid to ask her dad. They've given her the, already this city, but she says, Oh, I want the springs of water. I want the springs of water. And to me, whenever I hear that story, I always hear Jesus saying, If you thirst... Ask of me, and I will give you living water to drink. So here, uh, Aksa and Othniel, they're, they're not afraid, and they're not satisfied. Now, I'm not saying that we should be rude about what people give us, but what I am saying is the whole point of the book of Joshua is wa- learning to walk in a victorious Christian life. And as soon as we say... One, I'm satisfied. Or two, what I really want is just a beach to myself that I can set up on a chair and just ride the rest of my days out in ease. Then we are outside of the biblical model. That was hard for me to get around and swallow because I was kind of down with the whole beach. Kick back. Someday the battle's over. That's not the biblical model. The biblical model is Jesus is our Sabbath. And when we're with him, then we'll have rest. Jesus said, if any of you labor and are heavy laden, come where? Come unto me, and I will give you rest. So in Christ, we find that Sabbath rest. But here, Jesus said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. So he told us ahead of time, right? But be of good cheer, for I have overcome. So we fight from victory. Wherever we put the sole of our foot, it's ours to take by faith and trust in the Lord. But the battles are constantly going to continue. Now, as we look at these next several chapters, there's a lot of details. To you and I, we're thinking, I don't really care about all these borders. But if you were Judah, you'd care. When you bought your house... And they were laying out for you the property lines. You cared about where those property lines were, didn't you? You care about whether or not your neighbor just built a fence in your yard 10 feet into your property. So to them, it mattered. The, the thing that's important to me is that's God. That's his detail. That means to the Lord it matters. All those little details of our life. It it matters to him. It makes a difference to him. And so it's important that we want to to understand and realize that. Now, from verses 20 all the way to 61. Did you feel how fast we did that? We have all the borders and the families that are going to inherit it. You're more than welcome to do a study through the names. I invite you to do so. In verse 61, it says, In the wilderness, Beth, Arabah, Midian, Sekaka, Nibshan, the city of salt, and Gedi, and the six cities with their villages. But as for the Jebusites, 
the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. <clears throat> We're going to read that phrase in every one of the chapters at the end of almost every time they speak of the inheritance. When we look at that phrase, it doesn't mean that they were not able. It doesn't mean that God didn't fulfill his promise. The concept behind that verse is it meant that they didn't have the heart within them to do what God had gave them the promise to do. So they couldn't do it. They were done fighting. It was time for retirement. I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. So the Jebusite city of Jerusalem is not taken until the time of, does anybody know? David. David. At the time of David, David's going to conquer the city because he's going to make a similar promise like Caleb did. And a fellow named Joab is going to find a way into the city to deliver the Jebusites to him. So they could not. So the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. That's the time in which this was written. Chapter 16, <clears throat> the second lot. This lot fell to the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho on the east to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains to Bethel. And they went out from Bethel to Luz. They passed along the border, the Archites at Adaroth, and they went down westward to the boundary of the Japhletites, as far as the boundary of lower Beth Horon to Gezer, and it ended at the sea. So the children of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, took their inheritance. Now when we look at this, and I alluded to it a little bit last time, <coughs> except I think if I, I never got a chance to listen to it, but I think I said it backwards. Ephraim is the second born. Manasseh was the first born. Now when we look at it, we're going to notice that here in verse 5, he begins with the borders of which family? The border of Ephraim. Interesting. We remember... That when Jacob brought that same blessing, the prophecy of Genesis chapter 49, um, or when he laid his hands on, uh, excuse me, on uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, he switched his hands. He had his right hand on Ephraim and his left hand on Manasseh. And Joseph said, Dad, you got it backwards. The, the order's wrong. And he says, no, I don't have it backwards. But listen, the people are going to say the blessing will go like this. May you be like Ephraim and Manasseh. They both carried a blessing, but he did say that Ephraim was going to be greater. Here's where we're really going to see Ephraim arise when the kingdom split. Okay? Keep in mind, as we go through our, our history in the Old Testament, we're, going to, we're entering in right now to the time of Judges. When we enter into the time of Judges, that's 400 years of ups and downs. Right? The first, the very first judge is Othniel. The last judge, Samuel. Samuel's going to anoint the first king, Saul. Saul's going to be replaced by David. The one that replaces David is Solomon. Solomon, 
At the end of Solomon, we have the split in the kingdom. A northern kingdom that is going to be called by the name Ephraim. And a southern kingdom that's going to be called by the name Judah. So that's where we'll see Ephraim really begin to rise uh, in power. Unfortunately, we'll never see a good king in the north. Uh, We'll see a few good kings in the south. The first king in the north, does anybody know? Jeroboam in the south was Rehoboam. See, if you get one, you get the other, right? Jeroboam and Rehoboam. The, 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 The northern kingdom lasted 250 years and went into captivity with Assyria. The southern kingdom lasted 150 years longer, which equals 400 years. And they went into captivity with Babylon. Okay, great. Now, Babylon conquered Assyria too. Why is that important? Because by conquering Assyria and Judah, who's united? All of Israel is now united in captivity to Babylon. Out of Babylon comes the last two books in chronological order. That's Ezra and Nehemiah. Okay? At the end of Nehemiah, you're at the 400 silent years leading to the New Testament. So just so you kind of have a mindset, we right now are at the time of Judges, entering into 400 years of ups and downs. But Ephraim, way back in Genesis, was told, hey, you're going to really amount to something. You're going to become a powerful nation. You're going to grow and be mighty. But you're going to have a time when you grow and be mighty in the wrong way, in the wrong direction. And so we see that uh, being fulfilled in their history. Now as we look at Ephraim... Quickly, it says, So the children of Joseph, Manasseh, uh, and Ephraim took their inheritance. The border of the children of Ephraim, according to their families, is this. And then he lays out for them the borders. I want you to take your attention to verse 10. And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. But the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and have become what? Forced laborers. What do you mean they could not drive them out? How can you not drive out your slaves? It doesn't mean that you... It's not talking about you don't have the power to drive them out. You understand what I'm saying? What was it that they were looking for? Two things. Peace and prosperity. And that led to compromise. Well, peace because they didn't want to have to fight no more. Prosperity, because I would much rather have my 19-year-old pull all the weeds at my house than me. So I'll make whatever kind of deals I need to make. I'll keep them as a slave as long as I can. Peace and prosperity, that desire, led them to compromise, and they did not obey what God said to do. God said, get out from among them. Get those people away from you. Outside of the land. Drive them out. Now, I don't want you to think Gezer was some mighty city. Joshua had already defeated Gezer. There was no army. It was just slaves. But you see again how tribe by tribe, they made a choice that said, well, you know, it's okay. I mean, we're making money. We got their stuff. We got their, their houses. It's a good deal. It's working out good. We'll keep them around. We'll keep them around. At the time of the judges now, when all of a sudden you wonder, 
why are these people, I thought they just conquered the land. Yeah, they conquered, made them slaves. The slaves became numerous, became more powerful, and overthrew who was their masters. And it just keeps switching back and forth. Slave master, slave master, slave master. Now it's the Moabites, next it's the Israelites, then it's the Ammonites, then it's the Israelites. So <clears throat> this, is how that takes, this is how that all takes place. Now, the second who's mentioned in chapter 17 is Manasseh. Manasseh <coughs> is a firstborn. Man, I, what I want is a fisherman's friend, but I left them all at home. I got some water. Be okay. You guys can all feel bad for me. You don't mind, do you? I would take it, but I'm afraid I'll chew it and then cough. And then I'll spit my gum at you and I will feel bad. <laughs> yeah, I still do. Uh, I think I'll be good. Thanks. Um, here's the important thing we want to grasp from firstborn and, and then later born or, or younger born. We see it over and over again. Jacob and Esau, right? Ishmael and Isaac. Ephraim and Manasseh, it's something that goes on and on and on and on through Scripture. I don't want to make a big deal about it, but what I think that the Scripture is constantly saying is in reference to a relationship that you and I have with the Lord, and that is we are first born of the water, we're born of the flesh. But that first birth is never the one that God's looking for. What's the birth He's looking for? The second birth. What's our second birth? When we're born of the Spirit. When we're born of the Spirit. And so, as we see that, we're going to see that pretty consistently through Scripture. So just have an eye for that concept. You know, like I said, I don't want to make a big deal about it, but I just want to say, I think over and over and over again, that's the picture that God's painting in each of these circumstances, that we are first born of the flesh, and, and that's not <coughs> as much value to God, or any value to Him, once we have that second birth, that second birth. And so, but each of these families um, receive their inheritance. Manasseh, it begins in uh, chapter 17, but I, I just want to draw your attention to verse 3. But Zeliophihad, how would you like, if you're looking for Bible names for your kids, by the way. There's a good one. <laughs> Zelophehad, Zelophehad. The son of Hefer, there's another good one. The son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters. More Bible names for you. Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Tirzah. You remember these guys? Because we just studied them a little while ago. In the book of Numbers, as uh, um, Moses is going over the inheritance and the numbers for the inheritance... These daughters come to Moses and they say, hey, our dad didn't have any sons. And, and so, you know, legally we don't have any right to the inheritance, but, but our, our, our father's name just dies with us if we can't have any of the inheritance. And Moses goes before the Lord and the Lord says, give them their father's inheritance. So here when we come to this time when Manasseh is receiving the inheritance and it goes by all the names... It's all male names, and then you come to these ladies. And they receive the inheritance, 
that was traditionally to go to men. Why is that important? Well, here's why. A lot of people look at the Bible and they say, oh, it's, it's sexist and God never cares about women. And I promise you, do a careful reading of the Koran and you're not going to find a woman getting an inheritance. But we are looking at Joshua. Early in the scriptures, we see in the book of Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible, God saying, no, no, the women should get the inheritance. So that was totally different than every society on earth for the time that that was given. So as we look at that, I just want to remind you of of that information, the territory that's given to Manasseh. Now, the scripture goes on and lays that out for us. And as we come, I want you to look at verse 12. In verse 12, after giving all the borders in the family and, and some important lands to them, it says, yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities. But the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land. So again, another tribe, their inheritance given to them. The battles are over. All they have to do is finish it up. The mop up, if you will. (laughs) And again, that phrase, they could not, doesn't mean they weren't physically able to. But that they just didn't have the, the will, the desire to obey what God had laid out for them to do. Now, as, as it goes on, uh, we, we have some, some interesting things that we want to point out. Verse 13. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor. But they did not drive them out. Isn't that interesting? Again, what did they do? They made them slaves. I draw your attention to the first king of Israel. And the first king of Israel being told by God to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And then when Samuel comes to the battle, what did he discover? They didn't utterly destroy him, right? They kept the livestock and we know they kept the king. King's name was Agag. And by the way, the, one of the fellows that's responsible for the death of Saul was called an, an Agagite. Agagite. A child of Agag. So how long, it's hard to say all those ites. So how long was it that Saul had Agag? Did Agag father a a child while he was in Saul's confinement? And did that child end up growing up to be the one who killed Saul? Interesting, you know, those are things we can't absolutely answer, but it's definitely interesting on the pages of Scripture to see that. But when we look at the failure of Saul, we recognize that simply as a failure to be obedient to what God said. But before Saul ever did it, every one of the tribes of Israel had done it at the end of the book of Joshua. Drive them out. But they could not. But then when they were mighty, what did they make them? Slaves. Now you know every action has... An equal and opposite what? Reaction. So, if I conquer a people and I make them slaves, and then in slavery, they grow, they grow in numbers, they get banded together, and they rise up against me, what are they going to want to do to me? Kill me and then make me their slave. And you just have a recipe for the book of Judges. 400 years of that. 
because of the disobedience, what God said. Don't be like them. Come out from among them. Drive them out of the land. Drive their influence out of the land. But they can make excuses, right? Hey, come on, man. It's a lot of work to work all these fields by myself. And I can just have all these slaves. I don't got to pay. But that wasn't God. what God wanted for them. But we see one by one by one, more and more, the same mistake. Now then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua. Now the children of Joseph are going to come to Joshua. If we had our map, you would see Manasseh has two big old chunks of land, and Ephraim has this little chunk kind of in between them. Now we know that the whole thing is called the inheritance of the tribe of Joseph. But when you look at them individually, Ephraim and Manasseh have different parts of it. Well, (coughs) when we look at it, it says the children of Joseph uh, spoke to Joshua and said, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit? Don't you feel bad for them? Since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. So here's what I like about what they just said. First, they just defined themselves as a great people. I always love to meet people like that. People who define themselves as great. I'm a great person. You don't know me yet, so I have to tell you that. But if you know me, you would come to that conclusion all by yourself. So listen, I want you to listen to what Joshua says. Joshua answered them and said, Well, if you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites. And what's it say? And the giants. What I want to grasp from this is as we go through these tribes, we're going to notice for every one of them, there was like a little stronghold of giants somewhere in their land. That thing that they were so afraid of. Now, where they come from is not as important as the fact that they were there. Why is that important? Because you and I have the same thing in, the, in our boundaries, in our borders, in this life that God's called us to. And so the Ephraim is saying, oh, well, how come we got so little? We're such a great people. So Joshua says, if you're so great, go up on a mountain and whoop a giants and take more. Now, Caleb, what did he do? That's what he asked for first, right? Tell me where the giants are. I'm going to go whoop them. But here, here, that was different. Now we see, oh, give me something. Give me something for free. I don't want to do any more battle. How come I don't have enough of the land? So Joshua uses their words. If you're a great people, here's how you know you're great. You go take care of the giants. Since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. So since your area is too small, you can have more of the giant, the land of the giants. But the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron both those who are of Bethshean and its towns and those who are of the valley of Jezreel so Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph to Ephraim and Manasseh and said you are a great people and have great power you shall not have only one lot but the mountain country shall be yours 
Although it is wooded, you will cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. Joshua's encouragement to them is, they sound like the ten guys who went in before and said, we can't take it, the people are too mighty. But this is the same generation that saw the long day of Joshua. This is the same generation who in the middle of the battle saw 100-pound hailstones fall out of heaven and destroy only the enemy. That's the same guys who are saying, those guys got iron chariots. Don't you remember? God's got a bunch of snowballs in heaven and they're wicked, man. I mean, he was he took out all them armies. But they don't remember that. They don't remember that because they don't want to remember that. They don't want to be in the battle. They don't want to be in the fight. Remember Paul at the end of his life? Those powerful words that he says, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I always liked those words. But after a while in the battle, you start to sound, we start to sound more like Ephraim and Manasseh. Hey, where's the line for the easy? Where's the cush job? That's the one I'm interested in. But Joshua encourages them. He says, I think the first time he says, if you're great, go take the giants. But the second time he says, you are great. Why? Because God's with you. You can take that land. You can have the victory. Occasionally I'll have a fellow come by and, and sometimes there are guys that are dealing with, with a variety of addictions and they're having a hard time staying clean. And <clears throat> one guy <clears throat> recently that I was talking to, he's, he knows what to do, the power to do what he needs to do, he doesn't have. And they come by and we'll spend a little bit of time in prayer and encouragement. And I can say, you do have the power. Because you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You just got to begin to fight from victory instead of fighting from defeat. I'm beaten. You're not beaten. The power of God, the, the God who raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. You have to tap into that power. It's simple. All it takes is the right choice. But sometimes the simplest things are the hardest things to do, huh? You don't have to live a life wrapped up in defeat. You can enjoy victory in Jesus. It's already won. All you have to do is walk in that victory. All you have to do is walk in the victory. But what do we do when we walk in the victory? We've got to get all that enemy, all that sin, all that garbage. Don't call it a disease. Don't call it a... Just call it what it is. It's all sin. Anything that that keeps me from walking, the walk I need to walk with Jesus Christ is sin, period. So we repent and cast it out from among you. Don't keep it on your end table. Don't keep it wrapped up in your closet. Yeah, and take them out. God will give you the power to slay the giants in your life. Amen? He does. And that's what 
That's what we want to see in this promise here in in chapter 17. Now, we come to chapter 18, and you're thinking, my goodness, I can't believe how far we're going. Well, we're not done yet. Don't worry. (coughs) Some of you are saying, oh, I hope that was the end. Now, the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh. Shiloh is in Ephraim. Okay? That's part of Ephraim's land. Shiloh is important. And there in Shiloh, they set up the tabernacle of meeting, and the land was subdued from before them. So for the first time since Joshua began the conquest, the tabernacle gets set up. And it's going to stay at home in Shiloh until David moves it when he takes Jerusalem. So it's going to be in Shiloh a long time. A long time. Interesting how that fits in when we consider the prophecy of Genesis chapter 49. Scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. What was Shiloh a picture of? The presence of Almighty God in their midst. So that's the tabernacle set up in that place. So they set up the tabernacle. But look at verse 2. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not received their inheritance. So Joshua starts looking around. They said the tabernacle. And he's like, what are you people doing here still? We're in the land. Would you go get your land? Would you, would you just be faithful to go get it? So Joshua said to the children of Israel, how long will you neglect to go and possess a land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? What are you still doing here? They were just in like, Chill. Yeah, they were, they were in nowhere. Here's what we see when we look at, at this chapter in, in Ephraim and Manasseh. There's, I think, three things that become mistakes in our Christian walk that we can kind of glean from this. One of those is, one, are you just hanging out? Just hanging around? You're not really going and doing anything. You're not being a part of anything, but you're hanging. Just hanging out. Because that's what those seven other tribes are doing. Just hanging out. I'm not going and getting my inheritance. I'm not going and grabbing hold of everything that God has for me. Those are some of the mistakes that can be made. The second mistake that we see uh, them making is uh, what we see really with Ephraim and Manasseh. Well, I'm not happy with where God has me. The Bible's very clear. Bloom where you're planted. Do what God's called you to do, where he's called you to do it, in the place that you're at. (coughs) Some people live their whole life wanting someone else's ministry or a different call. So much so that they miss the call that God has on them. Don't despise the day of small things. Be faithful in the small things, and he will give you more. So... Don't despise where God has you, the calling that God's given you, the thing, whatever that thing is that God has you doing. You know, rejoice in that. And the third problem that we fall into is, I'm afraid. There's giants. I'm afraid. So what do we do? We go anyway. It's okay. Be afraid. Perfect love casts out fear. 1 John 4, 7, 8 tells us who perfect love is, right? 
The love is of God. Anyone who loves is born of God and knows God, for God is love. So allow the love of God to purge that fear in your life. But don't let fear stop you. Don't just hang around. Don't be bitter about where God has you. Just be moving forward. The, the relationship we have with the Lord is called a walk, right? Isn't that what Paul calls it? This walk of faith? Well, then that means we ought to be moving. Always moving forward. Always moving forward. He also likens it to a race, right? And he says, Paul says, run your race that you might win. Some people are so sure they can't win, they're not even trying. Paul's point is, live every day like you're trying to win it. Be in that place. And so, here are these seven other tribes just hanging out, not moving, not going. So Joshua says, all right, guys, pick out from among you three men from each tribe, and I will send them, and they will rise and go through the land and survey it all and bring, uh, survey it according to their inheritance and come back to me. So they're going to basically build a map. And you shall survey the land in seven parts, bring the survey to me, and I will cast lots here before the Lord our God. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And I, you're going to hear that over and over and over. I love that. That's really where we need to start having our, our focus. My inheritance is the Lord. It's not what house I can get, not what motorcycle I can get, it's not what whatever. My inheritance is him. And I want him more than I want anything else. Isn't that what Jesus said? Oh, how happy is the man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Righteousness is something we can't produce. Righteousness is what God is. Hungering and thirsting for him. So he says, the Levites have no inheritance. God is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, the half-tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance uh, beyond the Jordan on the east. <coughs> Verse 8. So the men arose. <laughs> the men arose to go away. And Joshua charged those who went. To survey the land. If I just talk calm I'd be okay. <clears throat> go walk through the land. Survey it. Come back to me. That I may cast lots for you. Before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went. Passed through the land, wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities, and they came to Joshua at the camp of Shiloh. And Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land of the children of Israel according to their divisions. Wasn't sure I was going to make it. The first one in verse 11 we're going to see is the lot of the tribe of the children of of Benjamin, the children of Benjamin. And we have all the borders for the children of Benjamin. Um, as we come down, uh, I, I want to bring your attention to verse 16. It says, Then the border came down to the end of the mountain that lies before the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is in the valley of the Rephaim on the north, descending to the valley of Hinnom, to the south, to the Jebusite city. What do we remember about the valley of the Rephaim? What's Rephaim mean? It's the giants, okay? Again, they've got 
Giants in the land. Strongholds to deal with. You know, things that, that they're going to have to face. Uh, and then in, uh, in verse 21, you have the name of the children of Benjamin by city. <coughs> and, uh, and their inheritance. Then, <clears throat> chapter 19, the second lot came out for Simeon, the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families. And this brings another interesting point. Remember the time of Jacob, when he, in Genesis 49, he's prophesying over his children. He prophesies over Levi and, and Simeon. And he says, Levi and Simeon are going to be scattered among their brothers. And we see that quite literally in Levi, right? Because Levi becomes a, the, the priesthood, and they have no inheritance. Well, how does that work with Simeon? Well, let's take a look. In verse 9... It says, the inheritance of the children of Simeon was included in the share of the children of Judah. For the share of the children of Judah was too much for them. Therefore, the children of Simeon had their inheritance in the inheritance of that people. So in the midst of Judah, if you look on a map, you'll see Judah and then like a little circle island. And that's Simeon. Inside Judah. So they don't really end up with this big inheritance like other guys. They just end up ultimately being swallowed by Judah and, and being in that place with Judah and the fulfillment of that, uh, that prophecy that we see in Genesis 49. Now, it goes on in, in verse 10, the third lot, the third lot came out for the children of Zebulun. Zebulun, according to their families, and it gives the borders. In verse 13, we have a Bible trivia question. And from there, it passed along to the east of Gath Hefer. Anybody remember what prophet is from Gath Hefer? It's kind of a fishy guy. Jonah. Jonah. Yes, in case you guys are ever playing Bible trivia, I just give you an answer. <coughs> uh, and it gives their borders. This was the inheritance of the children of Zebulun, according to their families, these cities. With their villages. Uh, now the fourth lot comes to Issachar. And Issachar, according to their families, and it lists out all the borders for Issachar. When we consider Issachar, Issachar basically inherits the Jezreel Valley. The Jezreel Valley is a place of uh, prominence and prophecy. That's the valley that's prophesied to fill up to the horse's bridle with blood in the end of days. So that's the part of Israel that's given to Issachar, the tribe of Issachar, called the Valley of Jezreel. That's just a, a basic uh, symbolism for their, for their borders. The borders are all listed there. The fifth lot came out for the tribe of the children of Asher, according to their families. Now, one of the things you may or may not know of Asher... <coughs> Remember the prophetess, Anna the prophetess, uh, that we see uh, appearing uh, before Mary and Joseph? She is of the tribe of Asher. So the tribe of Asher we see laid out, and the tribe, see how fast we can go through this? And the borders for the tribe of Asher are listed there. Until we come to verse 31, that was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Asher, according to their families, these cities with their villages. 
Then, chapter 32, the sixth lot came out to the children of Naphtali. For the children of Naphtali, according to their families, and the borders are listed out. The Hula Valley is the, basically the, the place of Naphtali. And we will see Naphtali, we saw Naphtali, I should say, as we went through the book of Isaiah. If you want to just turn quickly to Isaiah chapter 9, we have an interesting prophecy that will kind of remind you of where the inheritance for Naphtali is at. In uh, chapter 9 of Isaiah, it says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in the Galilee of the Gentiles. So in Naphtali and Zebulun, you're talking about the Galilee region. Well, why, why did you bring us to this prophecy? Well, you should recognize it. For in verse 2 it says, The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Matthew points to this prophecy when it speaks of the Messiah coming into that region. As Jesus brings his attention to the Galilee. He calls it Zebulun and Naphtali. So that's where we see um, the inheritance of, uh, of Zebulun and, and Naphtali coming in. So as we go back to uh, chapter 19, it says in verse 39, This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Naphtali according to their families, cities, and their villages. And then the last lot came out for the children of Dan, according to their families. And the borders are listed out in just about the time you think, man, it just keeps going on. (coughs) In verse 47 it says, And the border of the children of Dan went beyond these, because the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and took possession of it. And dwelt in it. They called Leshem Dan after the name of Dan their father. So Leshem is going to come up again as we get into, into Judges. Um, we'll see that again and a little bit more about that. But here we see the Danites, unlike some of the others who couldn't put people out, they continue. They take more. Here's their, what was the promise that God gave them? Don't think the inheritance is all the border they can have. What did God tell them? Wherever you put the sole of your foot. Now I want you to close your eyes and think about how many places the sole of their foot has been. From the Nile River to the Euphrates. And all the way back to where they are settling. So today, you're talking about a lot of Saudi Arabia... Egypt, Iran, the, wherever the sole of your foot has touched. But don't lose sight of this. And Well, here, let me, let me finish with Dan and I'll go there. So this is the inheritance of the tribe of Dan. And then I want you to look at verse 49. And when they had made an end of dividing the land as an inheritance 
According to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance to Joshua, the son of Nun. <coughs> so, here's what I want you to, to kind of try to remember as we look at those 12 tribes and the promises of God. In Deuteronomy, Moses, in one of his five messages to the people before they went in, he said, if you obey, you'll have these blessings. If you disobey, you'll have what? Cursings. And then he said... You're going to go into the land, and I am going to disperse you among all the nations. They hadn't even gone in yet. But Moses was prophesying that it's not going to work out, and you're going to get dispersed. But God said, when you obey me with all your heart, I will bring you all into all your land. That that prophecy is still waiting to be fulfilled. When will they follow him with all their heart? When they look upon him whom they have pierced, and they mourn as one mourns for their only son. When Jesus returns, when they recognize him as Messiah, that's when that is going to be fulfilled. That's when they'll have the land. And who will be their king? Jesus will be their king. So those are all things that God has promised that are unconditional promises. They have to happen. They have to occur. So when you're looking at that and you're considering the boundaries and all that, that boundaries could expand as far as they were willing to what? Put the sole of their foot. How far are you willing to go? The promise to you and I is the same way. We don't have everything that we can have in Jesus Christ right now. But wherever you're willing to put the sole of your foot, however far you're willing to go, to be obedient to what what God lays on your heart, not to be presumptuous, but just to say, Lord, I'm willing. Send me. I'll go. I'll move. I'll do. I'll whatever. I want more of you. That attitude that says I'm not satisfied with my relationship. I don't ever want to be satisfied with where I am. I want more. I want more. And the last thing that we look at in chapter 19 is the last inheritance that's given. And whose was it? Joshua's. When did Caleb get his? Oh, five chapters ago. How come Joshua didn't say, I want mine now? Hmm. What's Joshua? Who is Joshua a type of? Jesus. Jesus. So when it comes time for his inheritance, all the people have all of theirs. So <laughs> the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua. Here's what they gave him. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked for, Timnath Sarah, in the mountains of Ephraim. And he built a city and dwelt in it. And you know what that doesn't tell you? That Timnath Sarah was a pit it was nothing it was it was the garbage of it all joshua you know the guy who just led you guys on the conquest and got all this stuff i mean most of us if somebody's done a lot of things for us and they and we say hey can i can i help you some way and they say oh no you know i don't want anything or and most of us will will at least attempt to give them more than what they're asking for. 
The people were satisfied to give him Timnath Sarah. It was a craggy wilderness desert area. Nothing fancy, nothing nice. Joshua went in there because before he had been the leader of the children of Israel, he'd been a builder. Joshua didn't complain. He didn't gripe. He just went in and did what he does. He built. He went in to, to Timnath Sarah and built it in this rugged place that was wasted and a place that nobody else wanted. He didn't take it first. He took it last. After everyone else was done, he took his. And I think that's a good picture of Jesus. Let the mind of Christ be in you. Who being in the very form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And came in the likeness of men. What kind of man? A bondservant, a slave. We see that same attitude and picture in this leader, Joshua, as he takes the city of Timnasera, for he was an Ephraimite, <coughs> so he takes it from that tribe. And that's interesting, by the way. Remember when Ephraim said, hey, can't we have other land? Why were they asking Joshua for more land? Because he's from Ephraim. Hey, hey, Captain, remember where you were from? Give us something easy. And he said, go take the giants. Go take the giants. So, these are the inheritance which Eliezer the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided as an inheritance by Lot and Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they made an end of dividing the country. And you said it couldn't be done. <coughs> now we have the cities of refuge and some other things to go through, but we're nearing the close of Joshua and the exciting time of entering into the time of the judges. So uh, looking forward to the study as we continue to go through. Why don't you stand up and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for uh, just this opportunity that we have. To study your word and to glean and to draw from it that which is going to encourage us. And, and realize, God, that you are a God who cares about the details cares about the issues maybe that they're only important to me but you care about them or maybe they're only important to my sister but you care about them lord i thank you that you are a god to whom those things matter and you are a god who desires us to stay in the battle until that time when you tell us if battle's over May we learn the lesson of King David, who when it was time for kings to go out to war, he stayed home and found himself in trouble. <coughs> May we learn that we are in enemy territory. We're supposed to be all about your work, Lord, doing what you've called us to do. God, we pray that you would encourage us, those of us who have our giants to face. That you encourage us that it's okay to be afraid. You're the victor. We just trust you and step out. And God, I pray that <coughs> unlike these who 
who couldn't contain, couldn't step out and fulfill your plan, God, may we have a desire to finish our race. Whatever it is that you've given us to do, whatever sin it is that we're going to struggle with in our life, Lord, that, that God, we would realize you want to give us the victory in it. And may we fight from victory, put our hope in you. For the only way any of us come through anything is by the strength of the power of your resurrection. So God, I just pray, brothers and sisters that are struggling in in addiction and chains, that you help them break free. And for the rest of us, may not have addictions, but we certainly got habits, hurts and hang-ups, sin. And you want to give us that victory too. So Lord, I pray that we would continue every day to fight the good fight of faith until we see your face coming for us in the clouds. Until that day, We fight. And we give you all the praise for the victory that you will give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.